And I mean, like, everyone's trying to tell me their issues, and I'm like, bitch, can you just cue up my drum? Welcome to Rebel Girls Book Club. I'm Harmony. And I'm Maggie. And we're here to take an intersectional, feminist approach to books from all over the spectrum. Bestsellers, we've got you covered. That one book from English class you hated while you read but you can't forget? We've got that too. Comic books? Nonfiction? It's all right here. So grab your tea, grab your blanket, and let's get rebellious about your favorite new reads. Hello world! Welcome back to Rebel Girls Book Club. I am Maggie. And I'm Harmony. And this week we're doing a book tag. In fact, we're doing the Never Have I Ever book tag, which was created by Madam Writer slash Anne with a book. So that'll be fun. We're going to have a good time. I am also the keeper of the questions, aren't I? <laughs> yes, you are. Never Have I Ever read a later book in a series before reading the first book. Don't know. I'm trying to think. Maybe. Does Narnia count? How was Narnia created? Did Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe come out first? So was that okay? The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe was published first, so I think that you're probably okay there. Yeah, and then my other one would be Passion of Mary Magdalene, and I can't think of anything else. Off- oh, you know what? Yes, I have. Yes, I have. Okay. The Lady's Guide to Petticoats and Piracy is the second book in a series, and I started with that one and have no intention of reading the first. Actually, I might now that I've read this one, so we'll see. Bold. Interesting. Very nice. Did we read The Passion of Mary Magdalene out of order? Not technically, but it's like the Chronicles of Narnia in that The Passion of Mary Magdalene is... Where the prequel came out later. Yeah. I see. I don't think I've ever done this. If I did, it was probably a series that it was more like companion novels rather than like a one, two, three, four, you have to read it in this order sort of thing. Nothing's jumping out to mind. I really like series, so I feel like I'm usually pretty paranoid about making sure that I'm starting with the right book. Alrighty. Never have I ever burned a book. Have you ever burned a book? No. Why would I ever burn a book? I don't know. Have you? You read Fahrenheit 451 and you were inspired? I've never read that. You've never read Fahrenheit 451? You go through high school with that? Yeah, I know. Does Fahrenheit 451 have female characters or woman characters? I mean, technically, yes, but it, it, but it does fo- follow a man in his journey to stopping book burning. That is why I'm sure. Fair enough. I'm sure that's why it hasn't penetrated, because I'm a misandrist. I love that book. I have burned a book, but it was a textbook, so I don't really know how much it counts. You... You did? You burned a textbook? Oh, yeah. Why? Because I had forgotten to give it back, and that class really pissed me off, and there was a bonfire. It wasn't like I built the bonfire to burn the book, but then there was a bonfire, and I had the book, and I burned it. Mickey, I want you to understand that me as a teenager would have been so upset by the fact that you had burned a book because of the implications of it. I would have been very mad at you. What implications? The implication of book burning. It was a math textbook. It doesn't matter. It's censorship. 
Yeah, no, it was bad year in math. It was also, a, it was more, I think, a symbol for me of, it was a class with a teacher. I was really sick in high school, for those of you who don't know. I spent a lot of time in and out of the hospital and in and out of wheelchairs. And it was a teacher who didn't really believe me or understand sort of what was happening. So it was kind of a symbol of the end of that relationship. It felt really good at the time, I'm not going to lie. I would never do it again, though. But at the time, it was very vindicating to just be like, yeah, fuck this. Fuck you. Fuck your textbook. Pretty much. Never have I ever read a book I knew I would hate. I think I knew I was going to hate Ethan Frome when I read the back cover. And then I did. <laughs> Ethan Frome really tortured kids all, all throughout the United States. I don't understand why that's the Edith Wharton they make people read. She's got really good books. Ethan Frome just is not one of them. Is it because it's so heavy with symbolism? I think that's what it is. It's because for us, it was our ninth grade read. And the kids I was in class with had never even thought about the idea that they hadn't really understood metaphors for some reason. It was like their first introduction into them. I think it's that. And it's also Ethan Frome, as hated as it is, and as I think much of a slog as it is to get through, is also a short book in terms of page count which probably also makes it a good choice for a high school classroom. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't know that I've ever read a book that I thought I would hate necessarily, but I've definitely read books that I thought I would dislike, specifically for this podcast. Sometimes when you're trying to read widely, it means that <laughs> it means that you're reading outside of your comfort zone. <laughs> usually, usually that's a pleasantly surprising experience I found, but every once in a while you'll read a book and you're like, yeah, I didn't think this was going to be my thing. And I was right. It wasn't my thing. I want to know what those books are off air. <laughs> you won't be surprised when I tell you. It was also, I think, earlier on when I was still sort of figuring out my footing to get into YA. And we were reading at the time a lot more middle grade slash YA books. And now I think I have a much more developed sense of what my taste is in those genres and those age ranges. So I, I have an easier time being like, you know, I really don't think that this is going to be a pick that I jive with. And sometimes we go with it anyways, because this podcast isn't necessarily about what Harmony and I like all the time. It's about what's interesting to talk about. But I don't think that for my own personal reading and enjoyment, something I'm just doing for fun, I've ever really picked up something being like, I'm just going to hate read this. Yeah, me either. There are books that I've started and disliked, but there aren't there aren't books where I was like, I'm going to actually hate this. There were books like, this might be mediocre, and I'm going to enjoy the fuck out of that, and then it's not enjoyable. But yeah, I've never purposely been like, I'm going to torture myself now, because that would make reading not fun. Yeah, I just feel like there's so many books in the world that I'm genuinely really excited to read and really want to read, that unless I have a solid purpose for engaging with a text... Why would I pick up something that I genuinely don't think I'm going to jive with? Having said that, though, I am also a person who has a hard time not finishing a book once I've picked it up. I've gotten a little bit better about it recently, but for some reason for me, those two mentalities exist separately. I'm not going to pick up something I think that I'm not going to like, but most of the time I will power through something, even if I'm not liking it. So saying that out loud really just emphasizes how silly that is, but hey. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. Never have I ever wrote a fan fiction about my favorite books. What about you, Harmony? Are you a fanfic person? Did you write fanfic about a book? Yes. 
Yes, I did. I read a lot of fan fiction. <laughs> what about you, Maggie? I never actually wrote fan fiction for a book community. I wrote fan fiction for other things when I was younger. I read a lot of fan fiction. I think that I, especially when I was younger, was really tied to the canon. So I was much more likely to just go back and reread my favorite things over and over and over again. By canon, I don't mean like the canon of literature, whatever that bullshit term actually means. I mean the canon of things that actually happened in the books I liked. Instead of reading Hunger Games fan fiction, I think I just reread the Hunger Games trilogy like 13 times when I was depressed. It was really a, that was my mood. Okay, but here's the thing that you don't get when you reread versus writing fan fiction. You don't get to insert yourself as the hot girl. And that's the whole point of fan fiction. Or hot somebody. You get to fuck the characters when you do fan fiction. <laughs> and that's the whole point. I've really never had that problem of just like inserting myself as the main character of any book. I don't know what it is, but <laughs> I'm, I'm there. It doesn't really matter. Self-obsessed, apparently. Nobody's surprised. <laughs> Alrighty. Never have I ever loved a book when I was young and hated it when I got older. I think I have a really easy answer for that. But I don't know if I even hate it. But yeah, the Harry Potter series is... I can't even watch the movies anymore. And when people mention it, like, get actively a little bit mad. And it took me a really long time to go to come to terms with that. It didn't... I think after all that controversy happened, I was in the middle of it and I was still reading it. But yeah, those feelings came much later. And I think now they're just pure and permanent and ready to stay. Because I really had to process through the actual text and the problems with it. What about you? That makes sense. Yeah. I feel like that's also sort of an obvious answer for me. I, I would agree with you in that I don't know that I necessarily hate Harry Potter now so much as I just am so upset slash disgusted by jk rowling as a human being all the time that it's really hard to engage with that work in any way there's really not anything that's jumping to mind to being like i was obsessed with this when i was younger and as an adult reader i i don't think it's very good anymore having said that because i'm not a huge Reader though, I also haven't engaged with a lot of the things that I really loved as a kid since I was a kid. So it's kind of hard to say. Never have I ever dressed up as one of my favorite literary characters. Oh yeah, I have all the time. And I would be the kid with an obscure literary character and I would wear that for Halloween. They were so obscure that I don't remember who they are. It was books that no one else had read and I was like, yeah, this is me. I love that. that that's very on brand. <laughs> I think yes, but more just kind of loose inspiration for me. I have never been somebody who's been super into costumes, even even as a kid on Halloween and things like that. I, I, I just was never that into it. I think the closest thing I've come, frankly, as an adult is the fact that every Halloween, my default is just Belle from Beauty and the Beast because that's easy peasy lemon squeezy. <laughs> and you are Belle. That's a self-insert. Yeah, there's some marked similarities. <laughs> Wonderful. Love it. Alrighty. This is a good one. Never have I ever hated a book by an author that I love. That's definitely not true for me. Um, yeah. I'm not going to name names, though. I'm going to be above that. She's keeping it close to the chest. The same is also true for me. I feel like, especially when an author has a really big backlist, for example, 
It's just, you're not going to drive with every single thing they write. The obvious example that comes to mind for me is Haruki Murakami is my favorite author by far. I've read almost all of his books. I love 90% of them, but I really didn't jive with After Dark specifically. I gave it two stars. Really, it just wasn't a book that was for me or connected with me in any way. And that doesn't mean that I don't still love Haruki Murakami. I just don't. I just don't connect with that book specifically, you know? I feel like in the age of fandom, sometimes there's this idea that if you really love something, you have to love every single thing that person does or creates, and that's just not true. It's also a dangerous mentality because it means that you're not engaging with those works with a critical eye anymore, and that's how we get into trouble societally. Snaps. This is a silly one. Never have I ever gone into a bookstore to buy one book and come out with many more. I feel like that's not a question. Yes, I have. Every time I go. I feel like everybody's done that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. It's more likely that I've never gone into a bookstore and just come out with one book. Yeah, same. I've overdrafted my account for books multiple times. This one's kind of interesting. Never have I ever read the end of a book before reading the beginning. Oh, I do that all the time, but I usually do, I don't usually read the whole page, but I will read the last paragraph. Oh, yeah? Yeah. (laughs) I do too. I usually, I think it started because I like to know how many pages a book that I'm reading is before I start. I don't know why, it's just part of my ritual. I open up to the first page and then I open up to the last page to see how many pages it is. And whenever I do that, I read the last sentence. And sometimes I've regretted it because sometimes the last sentence specifically will be like a cliffhanger or a spoiler or something. But I would say 99.9% of the time, it's just intriguing. Because a lot of the times, especially with just one sentence, you're like, well, now I want to know how we got here or what that means or what the context for it is. Yeah, it gives you a vibe. It gives you the aesthetic. It gives you a taste. And you're like, all right, I think that this book is for me. It's true. And also, there's also been a bunch of interesting studies that if I say interesting one more time on this podcast, I'm gonna lose my mind. But there's been some studies that have come out over the past five or six years that talk about the fact that for a lot of people, if you're spoiled for something, it actually makes you want to engage with the piece of media more because you know what's going to happen and you want to see how the fuck you're going to get there. And I feel like for me with last sentences, that's the thing. Never have I ever read a book without the dust cover. Um, yeah, I have all the time. Because if I have the dust cover, I will ruin it. I only read books if it's a hardback without the dust cover, because if it's on the book, I'm gonna fuck it up. Sometimes when you take it off, it still gets fucked up. But for me, at the very least, the likelihood is a lot lower if it's safely on a shelf somewhere than it is if it's in my hands. Yeah. Never have I ever skim read nearly half of a book. I have, but usually nonfiction. But no, you know what? Actually, well, yeah, if it's for research, not for the podcast, because that requires close reading. (laughs) But if I'm doing academic research, yeah, I've done that. Oh, yeah, same, especially for academic research. You can't get through large portions of school until you learn how to skim read effectively. I think it's just the way a lot of higher education works, which is a different podcast topic altogether, probably a different podcast altogether, but I have thoughts and feelings about it. I would say with fiction, I never intend to skim read the fiction that I'm reading for fun, but I will say if I'm not particularly engaged with a book, sometimes I will find myself moving at a speed that's closer to skimming 
than sitting down and really closely reading and engaging with a text. It's not typically like a conscious decision. It's more just like, get me to the good parts. I don't know. I think when I'm doing something that I really care about, like feel really resistant, even in school, to skim read. Because I know that I won't get, maybe it's like an ADD thing. I just know that I won't get the most out of it. But, you know, I was an English major. And throughout high school, for a lot of books, like definitely skim read. Never have I ever pretended to have read a book when I haven't actually read it. I think I have, yeah. Scarlet Letter. I don't know if I ever actually read that. Moby Dick. I don't know if I ever actually read that. I think I did very light skim reading. Oh yeah, for school, definitely. I would say in my personal life, I don't think so. I don't think I've really ever felt the need to make myself seem more pompous like I've read books that I haven't. But that also comes from a position of somebody who's read a lot of what would probably be considered the canon. So I feel like I'm comfortable with like how many classics or whatever I've read that if I haven't read a text, I'm like, yeah, I just haven't gotten there yet. Okay. But if you read it in school and you feel like you get the gist, are you ever like, yeah, I read that. Yeah, we did close reading. Did I actually read the whole thing? No, but I got the gist. I don't need to revisit it. I think I used to feel that way about Moby Dick. And then the third time it was assigned, by the third time it was assigned, I was like, fine, I fucking have to read Moby Dick. I read Moby Dick four times throughout undergraduate, okay? Or I was assigned to read Moby Dick four times. I did eventually read all of Moby Dick. I think I, I think for the most part, I, I actually did most of the reading for my literature classes. Shorter works, though, the short stories and shit, I, I never read that. Really? You didn't? Those were like, they were short, so I could conquer them. I'm not a short story person. Oh, I see. I'm not a short story person. I think, too, I have a harder time, or I have a harder time bullshitting essays on whole novels if I haven't read at, at least 80% of it. And if I'm at the 80% point, I'm going to read the whole thing. Whereas short stories were for me a lot easier to just bullshit my way through in class if that's what was needed. This is why I was so bad at writing essays. I think though, I'm trying to think about a novel that I might have only skim read. And if I would say that I read it, I think I'd probably just be honest about it and be like, I was assigned to read that and I got the gist of it. But like, the eyes never actually touched the paper, really. (laughs) touch the paper though right okay so this is what I mean like I will my skim reading is like close reading particular passages because I don't obtain anything from actually skimming I maybe get like a word but if I close read particular passages I can piece together what's happened that's how I skim read oh yeah I work very I I work very differently in that sense if I skim I'm I'm more just like reading quickly and I'm probably not going to pick up the most nuance but I am looking at every page and and reading to a certain extent every word. Wow. Okay. Never have I ever saw the movie before reading the book. That's a lie for me. There are many movies I've seen. Yeah, me too. I guess in terms of movies that I was exciting about being adapted, I think I probably always read the book first, but I think especially now there's so many adaptions out there. It feels like it'd be impossible to read the book before you saw everyone. Yeah. Go ahead, Maggie. Shoot rapid fire. Never have I ever had a book boyfriend. Oh, I've had tons. And girlfriends. And maybe even to a certain extent pretend siblings reading a book and been like, yeah, that's my mom. That's my dad. 
That's my brother. <laughs> I feel like especially as a teenager, which is a time in my life when I was really looking to reading to escape, it was a whole maladaptive daydream situation, my friends. We were in it. <laughs> Alrighty. Never have I ever read a history book or anthropology book for fun. Of course I have. What about you, Maggie? I don't think I have, which is a bold take because I'm a historian, literally by trade. <laughs> that's like, like, that's straight up my job. I'm a historian, but I don't think I've ever. Well, I mean, it's also partially because like, there's books that I've read for work that I really enjoyed, right? But I think because it's what I do for work, it's not something that I'm going out of my way to engage with all the time outside of work, you know? A lot of times if I'm really interested in a specific text like that, I'll just make an excuse to read it for work. I set our exhibit schedule. <laughs> I can kind of research whatever I want. But Maggie, you've been reading a lot longer than you've been at this one job, though. Yeah, and the, it's still true. <laughs> You weren't a kid that was like, I'm going to learn about the 50 greatest presidents or something. No, I think, so this is actually something I actually bump up a, a lot within my career too, is that my exposure to history has always been through literature and a love through 19th century literature specifically. And that's what my scholarly research was all about when I was in undergrad. And that was true even when I was a kid. So a lot of times my research process was read a book be interested about X, Y, and Z thing, and then go to Google and be like, is this how it really was? Things like that. That's always been my research process. And now that I'm in a position as an academic historian, obviously I can't, that can't be my research process anymore. And that's how I've started to engage with historical texts. But my love for history has only ever come from old books. Were you doing that at 10 years old? Was, well, I guess for you, nine, eight years old? Because Google wasn't really around and mainstream. I didn't really start reading, I would say, older books until I got to high school. What about, were, there were no kitty books? 50 women throughout history? At the Magic Treehouse, I guess. I had a couple of those nonfictions. It really, yeah, it's funny because I got into museums as an adult. And I think that a lot of people assume that I always had a fascination with like, art or history or anything growing up or like was constantly exposed to museums growing up because of that. And that just wasn't true for me. Those were all interests that I developed after I turned 18 and got to undergraduate. It wasn't that I didn't care, but I didn't enjoy, I didn't learn to enjoy older literature, pre 20th century literature until my sophomore year in high school. And my interest didn't expand outside of that. And my family just was never really super big museum goers. I remember a couple of times that we went, it wasn't like I never went, but it wasn't like a thing that we did. So genuinely, the answer is no. I'm sorry, you may move on. I know that we've got 10 million never have I ever questions. It's all good. Well, that one's just silly. This one's never have I ever picked up a book based on the cover alone. Of course I've cover bought. That's like a thing. It's a rite of passage. Yeah, I do that often. I think I did that with Honey Girl. Fair enough. It's a gorgeous cover. Never have I ever bought multiple books in a series without having started it. I've done that. Probably. Yeah. No. Wait. Yeah. I've had multiple books in a series that I haven't started gifted to me, but of my own volition, I don't know that I ever have. 
I start a lot of series that I don't think are worth my time continuing personally. <laughs> they just aren't something I enjoyed. And I think that after that happens to you for the trillionth time, you just stop getting multiple books. I will say that if I've read and enjoyed the first book, I'll often go out and buy all of the rest of the books. But I'm usually pretty cautious if it's an, especially if it's an author I've never read before. You technically did that with the Exogenesis series, though, and Parable of the Sower and Talents. I guess with bind-ups, then, yeah, that's something that, I, that I've done. But I think sometimes with bind-ups, it still feels like one book, even if it's technically a trilogy. And that's all about money, because it's like, usually with a bind-up, maybe you're paying a dollar or two more, but it's not like you're paying an extra $13, $14 to get more books, you know? Yeah, I get it. Alrighty, two more questions. Never have I ever kept reading a series, even if I didn't love the first book. Okay, so this is actually my big non-bind-up, non-Octavia Butler thing. It was called Flowers in the Attic, and I didn't love the first book, but I had a friend who was in middle school who told me these books were great, and I thought it must be high literature because she had given me such raving reviews, and then I read it and found that it was incest porn. (laughs) And that's my ick. That's my big ick is incest porn, but I kept on reading them, so I don't know. (laughs) Wait, you kept on- I've only read Flowers in the Attic, because I read it and I was like, what the fuck is happening here? I read, like, four. (laughs) Yeah, it was really icky. Wow. Oh yeah, I've definitely continued in a series that I didn't love the first book, and sometimes it's genuinely been worth it and the rest of the series has gotten better- and sometimes after the second book, I'm like, mm, this was a mistake, but we're we're in it now. <laughs> and, and it's funny, too, because I do start a lot of series that I decide that I don't want to continue. But frankly, I really have no criteria for what makes it a series that I didn't like, but will continue in and what makes it a series that I didn't like, but I'm going to stop with. It's really just luck of the draw, total mood, what I'm feeling in that specific moment. Last question. Never have I ever read a book so quickly that I don't remember what happened by the end. I've definitely done that. Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, I think I have too. Sherlock Holmes, interesting. Yeah, I read all those books, maybe every single one that we had in our library in fourth grade, and I remembered not a thing. Fair enough. I definitely have two. I think, again, it was probably something that happened to me more often in school when I was reading something just to write an essay and things like that. I think this is why I don't skim read. It does decrease comprehension. Yeah, I just don't have enough comprehension to begin with. I sometimes have this problem with audiobooks specifically because I listen to audiobooks when I'm driving. You know, sometimes stuff happens on the road where you're just not really listening to what's happening anymore, but you don't really realize how far you've tuned out of what you're listening to, or at least that's my experience. And so sometimes by the end, by by a certain point in the climax, I'll be like, wait, how did we get here? And then I have to circle back. And I think that this is my biggest gripe with audiobooks. It's not that it's a problem, but if we were to compare the two for me personally, as an individual human, disclaimers aside now, I definitely comprehend more skim reading with my eyes than I do if I'm like, happen to zone out while listening to an audiobook. My comprehension is always higher if I'm engaging with something specifically with my eyes. And, but I think it's largely because if I'm engaging something while physically reading it, I'm not multitasking. And if I'm reading an audiobook, I am always multitasking. So it's not like a problem of the medium. It's just the way I consume it. That's fair. 
I bet I probably retain even less skim reading because I'm ADD and because my brain is always multitasking. (laughs) So that's the end of the book tag. Harmony, what are you reading currently? Oh, I'm reading a lot. Okay. So I'm reading a book that we have not mentioned yet on air. And so I will not until we have officially recorded it. And I am also reading Teaching to Transgress by Bell Hooks. And I am also reading Mutual Aid by Dean Spain, I think. And I'm also reading (laughs) We Are Here still, I think. I think that's the name. You Are Here? You Are Here? Yes. I'm reading two other books. I'm still reading Star Daughter. And then I'm also reading whatever book I told you all I was reading last week about the, the the lesbians and it's a holiday romance and they're in a cafe and it's super cute. And that's it. <sighs> Book-wise. It's a big old list. I'm reading Dread Nation by Justina Ireland and I'm reading A Master of Gin by P. Jilly Clark. Yay. Are they good? Yeah, they are. They're really good. Next week, we're coming at you with a woman in anarchism essay, which we still have not picked yet. So keep an eye out on our socials. Maybe for once, one of us will remember to like let you know what we're <laughs> reading once we've picked it. Um, we'll try our best. <laughs> this is our goal for next season. Next season, we promise. We're going to make a syllabus. You heard it here first. Yell at me if this doesn't happen. You heard it here first. All right, goodbye. (laughs) Bye. Don't forget to rate and review us on your favorite podcatcher app. You can support this podcast by going to anchor.fm slash RGBC and clicking the support this podcast button. Our episode schedule can be found in our show notes or by going to our website, Rebel Girls Book, Club and clicking read along with the show. You can follow us at RGBC Pod on Instagram, at Rebel Girls Book Club on Facebook, at Rebel Girls Book One on Twitter, and you can email us at Rebel Girls Book Club at gmail.com. Our theme song is called Pretty Boys Make Me Feel Ugly, and it's by The Gays. See you soon, and remember to read rebelliously. Rebel Girls Book Club is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts.